This true first-person story was recorded in front of a live audience at the Fringe Club in Hong Kong. It was told in February for a show with the theme of Recovered. Our storytellers are regular people, just like you, who decided to give storytelling a try. This story is from Rachel, who joined the storytelling group by accident and then got hooked. One of the things we insist on in our performances is that the storytellers must not read from notes. Now this can cause problems even for a seasoned storyteller, as you'll hear in this story. But what you'll also hear is that our audiences, who are the best by the way, don't mind a bit. A big thank you to those who come and support our live shows. As a wise man said, without you, we'd do this anyway, but it'd be less fun. If you want to learn how to tell your best story, sign up on our Hong Kong Stories Meetup page, like us on Facebook, or go to hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. Now, here's Rachel. It was almost 18 years ago when I brought my Steve home to visit my family for the first time. It was a pretty exciting event because they hadn't met each other before. My Steve is a city lad. He grew up in Hong Kong, but he's quite well-traveled. He lived for a long time in England. I know he's been overseas, all over the place, but this was the first time that he'd ever been to Canada. And we arrive at about midnight in Toronto Pearson Airport from a flight from Manchester. And we go through customs and do the regular, pick up our baggage, go through customs, and then we scurry out into the dark night, dark cold Canadian night across the airport to the car rental place because we need to rent a car to drive home to my parents' house, which is near Toronto. Now, near is a relative term. <laughs> because Canada, unlike Hong Kong and the UK, is big. In Hong Kong, if you say you live near somewhere, it's usually about 15 minutes away, somewhere around there. In England, it can be up to 40 minutes. But in Canada, it can be a whole lot further. My parents' little farm was two and a half hours drive from Toronto Airport. <laughs> two and a half hours drive from Toronto Airport, <laughs> sorry. And uh, so we, we got in a rental car, and uh, it actually, two and a half hours drive from Toronto Airport, and they, in, in, in near a small town, sorry. Just try that line one more time here. I'll get it right this time, I promise. <laughs> My parents' house was two and a half hours drive from Toronto Airport in a small town. In fact, it wasn't even in a small town. It was outside of a small town. <laughs> in the countryside, along a dirt road. Now, the road that I lived on is beautiful. It's a really nice place to grow up. It's, the road itself is lined with these beautiful, big, deciduous trees, and in the summertime, they cast a dappled shade over the road. In the fall, it's like this explosion of color with reds and oranges and yellows just fantastically painted all the way down. And growing up in Canada is really special, especially in the countryside, because you get to do things that you don't get to do in the city. You get to ride a bike through the forest. You get to catch minnows in the local stream with your mother's pasta strainer. <laughs> she loved that. And you get to learn how to shoot a gun because living in the country, you need to know that kind of stuff. These are all things that my city lad Steve wouldn't necessarily know. 
So we get in the car and we're driving. And we're leaving Toronto and we're on the 401, which is a main artery going out of Toronto. It's really familiar. I mean, honestly, roads like this look the same all over the world. Four lanes of traffic on each side, lots of cars coming and going. Everything's comfortable. Steve's relaxed. We're all good. But me? I'm a bit nervous. So believe it or not, I'm wittering on. I'm telling him about my parents who are a bit weird, but the kindest people I know. <laughs> I tell him about my dad, who's this big, hairy, slightly intimidating guy, can fix almost anything and is weirdly attractive to babies. I tell him about my mom, who's this tiny little lady who's a bit bird-like and always used to swear in Flemish because nobody else understood it in the house. And she loves nature. She knows everything about the natural world. And she, the, together, they're this force of nature. They're incredible. And I couldn't wait for him to meet them. And I really wanted it to go well. So we're driving. We leave the 401. We get to London, Ontario, Canada. I have to say all three of those because it gets confusing for people who don't live in Canada. We get to London, Ontario, Canada, which is a normal-sized city, you know, pretty big. There's still lots of people around. It's almost one o'clock by this time, but you know, streets, street lights, shops, and a lot of wind and cold. The temperature's dropped considerably since we left the airport. It's about minus five with a wind chill factor on top of it, and there's a winter storm coming. And as we leave London and we go onto the slightly smaller feet of road, the darkness is darker than it was before, and the snow is snowier than it was before, and the wind is windier than it was before, and there's a storm. A Bruin. But it's still reasonably comfortable, you know, Steve's sitting there in the car and I'm still talking, but he's answering a little bit less. And it's a bit unsettling, I'll admit, as you're driving through the darkness and the cars are coming towards you and slowly flashing past and then you're left again in the darkness, two people in a rented Corolla. <laughs> Finally, we get to Exeter, which is the next smallest town on the way home. And it's a good-sized town. We've got the gas station still open and a 24-hour donut shop, very important in Canadian terms. And we go past that, and, and things are okay, but Steve is starting to look a little bit more worried. I can see he's kind of reached out to the, hand, uh, the, the armrest there, and he's kind of gripping it a little bit. He says, how much, how much further do we have to go? I say, well, we've only got about 20 more minutes. But as we leave Exeter, the storm gets worse. I've got to slow down because road conditions are not good. I put on my high beams, hoping that I can see a little bit more, but all it does is reflect off the snow and makes matters worse. As we pass through the last small town before we get to my parents' house, a couple of streetlights, a couple of houses, not much else, I can see Steve is starting to get more and more concerned. His shoulders are starting to hunch a little bit and his neck's gone down a wee bit and he's getting more tense. How much further, he says. And I reassure him, soon, soon. But I'm not really paying attention because I'm looking for the little tiny sign that marks our side road because usually I don't have a problem with this, but every single familiar landmark is obscured by snow. So we're driving and the snow is swirling and I see it just there. A little flash of green, and I turn, and the car goes into a small skid, but it's okay. <laughs> I've driven in snow before. I know what to do. And as we come around the corner, 
The trees lining my road create these lovely little drifts of snow. When the snow blows over, they create these little drifts. And I've got to gun the engine a little bit so we can get over them. So as we're driving, it's going thump, thump, thump. A little bit like if you were driving over dead bodies. <laughs> and the trees, which are so welcoming and lovely in the summertime and so beautiful in the fall, are now these long, thin branches, like fingers interlocking over the road as though they're going to crush us in a cold wooden grip. And I look over at Steve, and I realize that far from imagining the welcoming, lovely, friendly home of my childhood, he seems to think that we're driving into the scene of a horror movie. <laughs> are, we at, are we there yet? He whispers, and I can barely hear him over the blasting of the heater. I take my hand off the wheel and I point ahead and I say, see that light winking up in the distance? That's my parents' house. That's the yard light. They left it on for us. We go past a silent forest, darkened farmhouses, a couple of fields covered in snow, and finally there's a mailbox, a driveway, and we're home. We're home. <sighs> Come through the storm and we're safe. I turn to Steve, and I can see him visibly relax as he pulls his hand off the armrest. And I say, are you ready? And he looks at me, and he zips up his jacket, and he goes, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. And we run out of the car towards the house, and just as we're getting there, the door opens, and there's my big dad and my little mom, and the door and the warmth and light spilling out, and we're home, and they open their arms up wide, and they give, us a, all, they give us both a big hug, and they say, welcome home, welcome home. And I'm so happy. About 15 minutes later, we're snuggled up underneath a duvet, contentedly drifting off to sleep. The sound of the storm around us. And in the morning, when we wake up, this special Canadian magic has happened. There's a dusting of snow that covers everything. It's absolutely magical. It looks like a picture postcard. And I excitedly pull Steve from window to window, pointing out things around our farm. Look, there's the barn where we used to keep goats, but don't anymore. And there, there's the treehouse where we used to play when we were kids. And this is the bedroom that I grew up in. And this is the quilt that my mom made me. He's nodding looking a little bit nervous again. But we go downstairs for breakfast, and there's my mom putting jams on the table, and my dad's cooking pancakes, and the big table that's the center of our kitchen. It's a big wooden table that everybody sits around. My parents always sit on one side of the table, because on the other side is the window that goes out in the front yard. And I pull Steve over. Look out the window, Steve. Look out the window. Because there is the bird feeder that my mom feeds the beautiful Canadian songbirds that, that overwinter with us. She feeds them so that they can sustain themselves over the winter because it's a pretty harsh climate. And my mom and dad always sit on this side so that they can see out the window. It's better than TV, my dad says. <laughs> Fantastic. That's what they do every morning. So mom and dad sit down on one side and me and Steve sit on the other side and I'm so happy. I just It's fantastic. They're having that polite conversation of people who've just met one another and, you know, know they have to be part of each other's lives. So, how is the flight? And, oh, your house is so nice. And, you know, things like that. And I'm just sitting there grinning and I'm thinking, this is fantastic. Mom and Dad have accepted Steve into their lives and they haven't done anything too weird. 
Um, and, and of course, just as I'm thinking that, my father turns to my mother, nudges her, and says, Trudy. And in synchronicity, the two of them reach behind their chairs, their breakfast chairs. And my father's hand comes up holding a BB gun. And my mother's whole hand comes up holding a very business-like looking slingshot. <laughs> and the two of them, together, creep over to the window like middle-aged pajama-clad ninjas, <laughs> slide it open, point their weapons out the window, and fire. <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a big of a grackle as it flies away. A grackle's a pest bird that eats the songbird's food and chases them away from the bird feeder. My mother hates these. I look over at Steve, who's just pancake halfway to mouth going, what have I gotten myself into? And I consider explaining to him that the gun that my dad is holding is a BB gun. It's, it's practically a toy, really. It's not really a gun at all. And my mom... My mom can't hit anything with that slingshot. She's a terrible shot. And they're not actually trying to kill the bird. They're just trying to scare it away. But the extent of the horror on his face just means that I have no idea where to begin. So I just smile and say, ah, oh, it's so good to be home. <laughs> and you know, I don't think he's ever recovered. Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. If you want to know more about learning to tell great stories, visit us on hongkongstories.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to share it with your friends and keep an eye out for our weekly podcast published every Wednesday. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>